Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Scott. Before we get to our Day 2 Browns Training Camp podcast, I wanted to remind you about Football Insider and how it's really a great way to get in-depth coverage on the Browns during what everybody really expects to be a big season. Subscription gives you texts sent right to your phone from me, Dan, Mary Kay, and Ellis, updates and breaking news about the Browns all season. During camp, that could be info about a player injury, reaction to a press conference, and just what the Browns are doing on the field. Subscription also gives you access to all that exclusive content on Cleveland.com. A lot of it's free, but quite a bit requires a Football Insider subscription to access. You also get our daily newsletter, which includes content that only subscribers get. I'll be writing something for the newsletter on Saturday, and you can be sure that it'll have something about training camp in there. So go to Cleveland.com slash Browns, click on the blue banner at the top of the page, and get signed up. All right, let's get to it. Here's our Orange or Brown Talk podcast from day two of Browns training camp. Here we are on our day two of the training camp Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams. Have it, and let's get right to it. Uh, what we saw out on the practice field, what we heard beforehand, and we'll all of it down. Let's start with the wide receivers, because today was a little bit of a different look at the wide receiver group. Uh, Odell Beckham and Rashard Higgins were not out at practice for most of it. Uh, they walked out sort of halfway through practice, or two-thirds of the way through and watch. So they weren't out there. So really an opportunity Scott, for some of the other guys to kind of get some points. Yeah, we've been talking all offseason about this. We need that third receiver. It's a never-ending question of this Browns team since uh, Beckham and Landry have been around. Uh, and the guys got to get more reps. You know, DJ and, and Daryl Hodge and, and Anthony Schwartz, guys like that who were kind of in that competition along with Richard Higgins, we think, to, to claim that spot. And it was a weird day, though, for the receivers because even though they were maybe getting more reps you know, individual drills, stuff like that. It wasn't really a passing day, especially when they got the team drills. There was a lot of running uh, plays and a lot of run your route and Baker will just pretend to throw you the ball, you know, that kind of thing. And so, you know, it was good for, for some of those guys to get more reps, but at the end of the day, I think, I, I don't know how great of a situation it was to really make an impact other than, you know, looking good in your cuts and stuff and individual drills. Yeah, all I really saw today on that note, Scott, a lot of hitches, a lot of slants. I think Jarvis had one, uh, the tight ends, you know, grabbing those hitches across the middle. Um, but, yeah, when they were throwing, it, it was a lot underneath stuff. Yeah. But, Mary Kay, I mean, this is about opportunity, right? I mean, it's about a guy like Kadero Hodge or Donovan Peoples-Jones or, you know, some Anthony Schwartz even. It's about these guys getting that opportunity when, when kind of the bigger names aren't practicing. 
Absolutely. And this is an opportunity, like you mentioned, for an Anthony. You pick a guy in the third round, you see something in him, you believe in him. And he made a nice deep catch yesterday. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's what they're looking for in this offense. They're looking for some of these younger guys to step up so that they can find ways to utilize them in this offense. And they want to get that speed on the field. So this is a chance for him to get some of those extra reps and, um, Mildly concerned, uh, and I'm sure he'll be totally fine, but mildly concerned about Richard turning his ankle a little bit. I mean, you just don't want to see things like that happen in camp and a guy kind of goes in and out. So you want the consistency of guys being able to be out there so you can get the timing down. But uh, this is a chance for uh, the way they're working it. Uh, for some of the young, younger guys to get opportunities. And as we've mentioned before, you're going to see a lot of that. You're going to see a lot of some guys getting days off and Kevin Stefanski being conservative with the rotation. Let, let's ask this question. Just, well, Scott, you, it's well, I was going to say, I think there really is a sense of they want to be super careful this, this season, right? With everything that happened last year and Stefanski's talked about, I think you had even asked him about the pace of play during mini camp and how, it just was really like half pace when they're doing team drills. And, and now a couple of days into training camp, uh, it just seems to be the vibe that they don't want to take any chances and they're going to leave people on the sideline to, you know, avoid getting injured anymore or just make sure they take their time. People coming back. It's just kind of the sense I get uh, kind of this entire offseason really. So Mary Kay, you mentioned Richard and I don't want to, set up Scott here to go on a Browns hate Richard Higgins rant. But I mean, let's, if he were to miss say a week and I, and again, we don't know it's a rolled ankle. It was his left ankle that he had taped when he came out. He could be out there again tomorrow. So who knows? They're just taking extra caution, but I, I, I guess how important is it for Richard Higgins to be out there as much as possible? Well, I mean, it's always important, but again, for him, it's not a deal breaker. He's been with Baker since day one they already have their chemistry together they have their timing down more so than than baker has really almost with any other receiver except for jarvis landry baker and jarvis have a nice natural chemistry and i i also i'm writing about um today and it should be up when people are listening to this just about the development between baker and odell and what they're doing to get that right um, but he's already got that with Richard. So it's not catastrophic if Richard has to miss a couple of days. I mean, it would be, it would be worse if, if say, for instance, maybe an Anthony Schwartz was still struggling with the hamstring. Like you don't want him to aggravate the hamstring because he really needs this camp and he really needs to get out there and show what he can do if he wants to have a package of plays in for him early on. Yeah, Mary Kay's 100% right about that. Richard being safe just due to track record and chemistry with Baker. How much Baker, you know, probably and has fought for this guy uh, for obvious reasons. But it brings up an interesting thing that we talked about, you know, when we didn't know what was going to happen to Richard. Like, does this hurt his week one active status? I don't know. We got three preseason games to start right to play. But my point is this. Remember, Higgins does not play special teams. And perhaps a big catch from shorts or a big catch from Cordero Hodge, a guy I'm sure we're going to talk about here soon. It just, it, it keeps you safe, but your spot on the depth chart is equally important for a guy like Higgins. Yeah. This is the brand new world for the Browns and that they have so many depth, so much depth at some, at a lot of positions. And we're really going to find out, uh, you know, really what they value in a player. And yeah. like you said, him not playing special teams could come into play and 
just these are decisions that the Browns haven't had to make in positions in a long time. And it's going to be weird uh, when cut down days do come. And, I, you know, I have a feeling we're just going to be surprised by some of the people. But it's at the end of the day, it's a good thing that you're getting rid of somebody who's good. Yeah, the special teams piece of this is interesting because when you bring up Kadero Hodge, is that a guy that Mike Prefer pounds the table for? And I did think it was interesting that he was kind of the guy getting some of those Odell reps today. I, I think it just carries over from what we saw last year that uh, nothing has really changed with his status. Yeah, I completely agree. There was really one deep shot taken all day in practice. Uh, it was Cordero Hodge on the outside. I think there might have been some play action on the, the start of it, but I'm not 100% sure. Point is, Rashad, or excuse me, Hodge uh, breaks about 10 yards deep, goes for a corner post, ends up breaking out. The ball lands, I don't know, a couple yards ahead of him. Him and Baker uh, miss, but Baker comes to the sideline and him and uh, Hodge chatted out. What I'm trying to say is that he is the deep ball threat if Beckham isn't available, and that's really what we saw last year. And, you know, I think the thing to remember about this whole group of receivers after Odell and Jarvis, they're all bunched up together. Yeah. It's really going to be like the flavor of the week or who or what – you want to game plan for that week. If you need super speed and Anthony's ready, uh, you know, you get him in there. Uh, if you need more of a possession type receiver, you know, you can find one of those. I mean, you know, you've got Richard for that. If you, you know, they, they have different styles behind those two first guys. And I do think that we are all on the same page in thinking that there is not just going to be one third wide out. And I also think they will play more three wides and even some four wides this year. Okay, let's not make the people wait any longer. Let's give them what they want. Let's talk kickers. Yes. The kicking competition is underway. We got to see it today, and not great for uh, for Cody Parkey. Scott, can you give us kind of a, an update of what you saw in the kicking competition? Yeah, it, it was hard to tell exactly like what where they were kicking from from our vantage point, but it was they were typically lining up between like 20 and 40. They kind of kept, you know, moved back a little bit as they went. Uh, but Parkey, one for five, he made his first one. Uh, he just missed uh, a handful of them after that, and I think he doinked one. Uh, and then Jason McLaughlin uh, hit all his. Again, this is first the first field goal session of camp. There was really no rush, which I don't know if that makes it worse or better or worse. <laughs> Probably worse. But, uh, yeah, so that's where we stand. And uh, – like I told you guys afterwards that it just, it's a reminder of the cycle that the Browns have been in a kicker. It's just, they, they get a guy, he makes it through one season and then he's gone a couple games into the next season or, you know, he's replaced at some point during that next season. It's really hard for this team right now to get a kicker in the last two full seasons. I think Billy Cundiff uh, might've been the last guy. And he was, if I'm remembering correctly, right after Phil Dawson, who was here forever, obviously, but you know, you're going back to 2012, 2013, 2014. And, you know, we know over the last few years, it's just been this rotation. And, you know, when you see a start like that, that's, I guess, the first thing that came to my mind is like, are we, are we going to see that again? Ellis, you kind of described it best, how you even knew that a kicking competition was going on and, and it wasn't great. Yeah, uh, I hope this isn't me revealing that sometimes I just don't know what's going on in this job, but my eyes were elsewhere when the kicking competition started or the, the kicking portion of practice. And I simply heard the miss, a big doink, uh, whatever post it was, my eyes shoot up and I see that the field goal session has begun. So now I'll pay attention. But the point is that the, the sound of the, the kick was powerful. So he's got that at least. We need to work on the accuracy. I'll say this. Coach Prefer had some 
field goal kicking issues in, in Minnesota. I remember those fondly. He tends to figure it out. But again, this is something, of course, we're going to keep watching. Well, Eric Kay, your thoughts on kicking competitions. You know what, Cody, Cody finished strong. I mean, he finished strong by making all 11 kicks in postseason. So I thought maybe he would pick it up where he left off with making um, all of his uh, kicks in the, in the postseason, uh, on all of his extra points, all of, uh, and his three field goals. Uh, the area where he struggled a little bit last year, ironically, was with those extra points, missing extra points. Some of that may have been a little bit weather-driven, but um, nevertheless, you can't be missing extra points. So uh, it's, it's going to be an emphasis. I mean, you know, and that's why they brought someone in, not just to be a little bit of a camp leg, but to pressure him a little bit, to breathe down his neck a little bit and, and to put the heat on. And, and it should bring out the best in him. And, you know, that we, I, I joke about it at least, but it is important because this team wants to win playoff games and they want to win the Super Bowl. And it could come down to a guy having to line up and nail a 45-yard kick in Buffalo or at first energy stadium, or like, like it is a position that as much as we joke about it, it wins or loses football games. Yeah. hundred percent, Dan. And I think that Brown's watchers are used to it not mattering, but of course still caring. And then more of like, Oh, well, you know, we're missing kicks again. Brown's fans are now at a point where, like you said, these kicks really matter. And these kicks, whether it isn't a playoff game that of course the Browns and, and fans hope they get to, but even, you know, week five game. We don't know where the tiebreakers fall. We don't know how this is going to play out. This team, the stakes are so high, higher than, you know, many can remember, of course, that I can remember. And these kicks are, are going to decide games and potentially playoff spots. I guess if, if, you, if you're not really happy with the kicking situation, there's this. The Browns were very aggressive on fourth down last year. <laughs> Kevin Stefanski, uh, went, they were in the top 10, I believe, in uh, – actual you know, going for it on fourth down. The only problem was they had a really bad you know, success rate <laughs> with that, but, uh, but they did pass up, you know, more situations than, than most uh, to kick a field goal in order to go for it. Okay. Let's get to some stuff we heard before practice. And it, look, we heard from the quarterback today, Baker Mayfield spoke. And I guess the thing that has stood out to me about Baker is first of all, he said that, you know, he's got a lot that he has to improve on from last year which I think you'd expect him to say, but I'm kind of of the belief that this is the year where we kind of see Baker take ownership of this offense. And Kevin Stefanski, I asked him about it and he didn't really uh, give me much in his answer. Uh, But, you know, Baker kind of seemed to think that that's sort of what's going to happen this year. And just watching him in practice every day, you see him talking to his receivers, you know, dapping guys up between reps. I mean, he's actually very active veterans, rookies. It doesn't matter. I think we're going to see, you know, a more comfortable Baker mean a, a Baker who's going to have more control over this offense and really take ownership of this offense. What do you think, Mary Kay? I absolutely 100% think so. He's going to be uh, way more confident in what he's doing. Uh, I don't think he's going to have those voices in his head that tell him he has to get the ball to this guy or that guy. And that's good because he has so many guys to spread the ball around to this year with Odell being back and everybody being healthy going into this season. So I do think that uh, it's a year where not only will he uh, start out fast and and much more confident, uh, but I think they will give him more to do at the line of scrimmage. I think they will give him more opportunities uh, to change things, do things, change up cadence, uh, maybe try some no huddle, uh, do, you know, do some things that 
they might not have been able to implement last year when they just kind of had to walk before they could run. Now they can build on some of the things that they did last year and he's ready for it. He's a quick study and he's absolutely 100% ready to take on that responsibility. Yeah, Mary Kay's right. Browns fans may already know this. Anyone listening outside the state of Ohio or, you know, in, in Minnesota, just to, just to throw that out there. I highly recommend that y'all get Baker Mayfield and fancy football early. I mean, I don't want you to say reach and mess up your draft. If you're in an auction draft, pay a little more for him. He's going to have a monster year and not to project on a season after this one, because we haven't got to this season, but this might be the his best year of his career. We'll say in like the three, four, five year window, simply because this is probably gonna be the best team he plays on in a bit. This old line stack, best in football, Odell Jarvis, the tight ends, the running backs, you guys get it. Get Baker. Mary Kay is, is right on about this. They're going to give him more. He's going to have power at the line of scrimmage, and he's simply just going to be better. First time in year two of an offense, and it's a stacked unit. Baker's going to put up some numbers this year. I'm confident of that. Yeah, I think it's just kind of like the everything's coming together this year. You know, it's it's going to be his third full year yep. as a starter. It's a second year with this offense. It's you know he's been in the league now for you know for four years, so yep. it's. It's now's the time for him to kind of take ownership of those kinds of things and uh, kind of be that guy that everybody expects him to be. And he and he's been sharp. I mean, yeah. he's looked really good so far in these first couple practices. He's been really sharp, and it just I I do think we're I think we've all sort of felt like Baker's going to take that step this year, but we're seeing kind of the evidence that okay maybe he really is actually going to take that step. We're seeing it happen uh, on the field. So some more news today: the green dot. We got to talk about the green dot too, right? Anthony Walker going to wear the green dot. Surprise to any of you? No, okay. I mean, no, I, it makes <laughs> sense because John Johnson is the the wrench that was kind of thrown into this. It's why you know when Walker kind of was swapped in for BJ Good, so why we didn't automatically think, all right, well, yeah, he's going to be calling the plays it's because John Johnson also did that for the Rams, and it was kind of a weird case where. Uh, the linebackers were kind of it was a different situation. It just made more sense to have John Johnson doing it. Um, so when he said that today, you know, that, that Anthony Walker was the guy, um, at least we finally got some you know, definitive answer on it. But, uh, but it didn't really surprise me, especially knowing like the way people reacted uh, when, when Walker left, it's clear that he's respected and, and he's a loud voice in the locker room, that kind of thing. And if you're going to be the guy making sure everybody's listening to you and knows what they're going to do, I guess that's you know, part of the personality, but, uh, it was, it was that surprising to me. And I think you, at the end of the day, you still have two guys on the, on that defense, one right in the middle and one watching everything from the back end who are experienced, have been in that leadership role. And, and now they're on the same team together. Right. You know, it would have probably made our jobs more fun slash busy if John Johnson was wearing the green dot, but this makes a ton of sense. And if anything, we're just going to have to get used to the green dot middle linebacker wearing number four you know Dan and I were joking that if I was up in the press box calling this game or something I'd be like oh run right at the safety or the corner down there wearing number four but when you get up close and personal with Anthony uh he's big and he's moving sideline to sideline he looks good out here y'all do we have to explain the green dot did we explain the green dot yeah so just (laughs) before you jump in Mary Kay yeah we'll, we'll explain the green dot it's just the guy that calls the defense that's basically it it's usually it actually is usually the middle linebacker but it's, it's the guy that calls the defense. He, get, he gets to wear the headset. And the thing about Anthony Walker, that he has already established himself, and we knew this about Anthony Walker, he is a tremendous leader. There are not very many 
tremendous leaders in the NFL. Someone had asked me recently, who were some of the, the best leaders on the Cleveland Browns since 1999? And I really had to stop and think for a while uh, because there haven't been many that I would consider to be great leaders uh, you know, in the, in the mold of some of those fiery, fiery leaders that you think of on a football team. But An Anthony Walker brings tremendous, tremendous leadership skills, so much so that a number of guys have already attached themselves at the hip to Anthony Walker and are getting better because of it. The reason why Mac Wilson right now uh, has been getting first team reps is because uh, he is absorbing the wisdom and the leadership of Anthony Walker. They, you know, he is Anthony Walker's like sidekick right now. And, and they they spend a lot of time together and Anthony is bringing him along. We've heard, all heard the stories about Anthony Walker, that when he studies the opponent, he distributes notes to his teammates. That's great leadership uh, for someone to be able to do that. So no surprise that he's going to be calling the defensive plays. The only thing as you go along, you know, you'll, you'll have to, you know, wonder, you know, will somebody else be stepping in to that middle linebacker spot, but at least for now, uh, he's the guy and he's calling the place. Mary Kay, that, that's a fascinating point. I completely agree. And it, it got me thinking about the other way of it. When you said, you know, from 99, it's been hard to figure out what Brown Scott, I would read a piece by you all time Browns who led them the wrong way, you know, something like that, something like that. Um, Cause you know, Scott's our historian out here. It, it's just, I think it's a great point, Mary Kay, that, when you have a player like that, it changes everything, and he hasn't even been here yet. And just the way, again, we've talked about this before, but the way everyone out of Indianapolis talks about him, whether it's the front office or his own teammates, uh, the reviews are about as high as they can get. And, and that's got to be exciting for Browns fans. Okay, one more thing to get to, and, and it's not so much the headline that I want to get to on this, but J.C. Treader today spoke, and he called the idea of players wearing wristbands to indicate if they were vaccinated or not nonsensical. So that's the headline, but – the quote I really want to get into real quick is Kevin Stefanski, when he was asked about it, made it clear they made an organizational decision. They weren't doing wristbands. Uh, and he said, as you know, we're not dividing the team over this issue. And I just think it's just another example of Kevin Stefanski seeing the big picture, understanding that something that could be very divisive, something that could divide a locker room or a team or an organization, he's just not going to let it happen. So they're going to be smart. They're going to take the path of least resistance. They have ways to know this stuff anyway. And I just think it's another example of Kevin Stefanski having a really good grasp of basically just how to do this thing. Yeah, I totally agree, Dan. And really speaking it, speaking it into existence, right? I mean, just because he said it, who knows? But he's that type of guy who you speak it into existence. It, it will become true if it isn't already. And like you said, a grasp on what that means today and long term. Yeah, we talked all offseason about how Kevin Stefanski didn't really face much drama and yeah. or many uh, just big issues he had to deal with, you know, outside of actual football. And I guess this probably falls into that category and he seems to be on top of it and, and making sure it's not going to become an issue. And I think he said all the right things. And, and this issue, as we know, and as we've seen on other teams can be, it's a hot button issue and it can be extremely, extremely divisive. Okay. I mean, we've already seen when I, I, wrote the story the other day about how J.C. Treader um, talked to, he conducted a conference call on Sunday night with about 15 NFL players, roughly 15 NFL players, some more sat in on it, uh, and they had expressed their, their concerns. But in that story, uh, you, you know, I discuss how a team like the Bills, they've already had Cole Beasley and Jerry Hughes kind of, you know, going 
at it a little bit on social media. And these are the kinds of little fires that you have to put out right away if you want to hold the team together. Now, on, on this team, of course, uh, they had that whole, the whole added layer of the president of the NFLPA just so happens to be the center of their football team. So they have, I think, added incentive of carrying the banner for sticking together and doing things the right way. And that's the mess, one of the message that J.C. Treader really preached in his essay on the NFLPA website the other day was, we all need to stick together as players. We're not going to do wristbands that, that pit, pit vaxxed versus unvaxxed, yeah. um, but it's still going to be tricky. It's still going to be tricky. I saw a, a tweet today by somebody saying, you know, I can't be around my vaxxed family, but I have to go practice against the least vaxxed team in the NFL. I mean, these are things... Yeah. that are going to uh, come up over the next couple of months. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be a little bit of a minefield over the next few months because guys are going to test positive. The next thing that's going to start happening is, and JC and the NFLPA, they are pushing heavily for this. And that is for the vaxxed players to get tested way more than once every two weeks, because they don't want to let 14 days go by if somebody you know, has the virus and is spreading it around. He doesn't feel that that's a good way to get them through the season healthy. When that comes down, when that protocol comes out, that's going to cause, that's going to ruffle some feathers because there are a number of guys who went ahead and took the vaccine because they didn't want to get tested frequently. They didn't want to sit out in their car for a half an hour before practice and go through all of that. So it, I think it's going to be in some ways, I don't know. In some ways, I think this could be just as challenging as it was last year, because now there's just a, a whole new spin on it. Okay. Last call here. Did we miss anything? Anything you guys wanted to bring up? The Dean, team. Go ahead. Dean, Jimmy Haslam, were at practice today. Neither participated. <laughs> Not sure if that was due to injury or they're just getting a veterans day, but they were out there. <laughs> uh, Miles Garrett walked off the field today with his shirt off. You guys, he looks exactly like you saw him last time on the NFL stage for the draft. It's it's it looks like a balloon suit. That is an impressive man. <laughs> this is why he can't find a suit that fits. Yeah. That was by design. <laughs> yeah, Mary Kay's, Mary Kay's been on that that conspiracy from the start. <laughs> that was all by design. Okay, that'll do it. Our day two recap on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast from Mary Kay Scott Nelson. Thanks for listening, everybody.